evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Third and Short Overtime podcast. Uh, we've, we've all been having a good laugh um, just off air then. I don't know if come back after a few weeks off or we're all just high on life. I'm not sure which one it is. It's good to have you back anyway, John. Yeah, it's good the to Fab be Four right. again. And also, we've got Bones and Mark as well. Um, so we're going to do the week three talking points. Um, but first off, uh, we've put in a new little bit here. We're just going to have a go around each guy and um, the thoughts looking back at week three, just like what they thought from week three, just like a, a little briefing. I'm just going to get mine out of the way quickly. It's Seattle Seahawks that can't play in the second half, unfortunately, at the moment. You know, it's something to turn on. And it's not, I aren't wearing a Jags jersey just because that's the reason that Seahawks playing bad, so I've gone to the Jags. No, it's just a nice shirt, and I'm repping Blake Bortles because no one else will. But, yeah, Seahawks, are, it's a bit a bit concerning at the moment from my part. You know, it's... Uh, we're getting the job done in the first half and putting themselves in good position to win games. And second half, it just seems to be collapsing. And um, honestly, I can't really put my finger on it really because it looks so good in the first half, and it's nothing like being found out or anything. It's just it just seems to have halted. So yeah, that's um, an interesting thing to watch um, for, for me personally. I know I'm prepping my team being a homer, but it's just something that's the last few weeks that's really stuck out for me. Mark, what about you? Any any thoughts from week three? Um. You know, I think if anybody had said to me, name five teams who will be unbeaten going into week four, I don't think I would have named any of the... Uh, or maybe There's probably four of them I probably wouldn't have named. You know, the Rams look absolutely brilliant. Obviously, beat Tampa Bay this weekend. They go in with a winning record. And they look like the most likely who are going to continue that winning record. But the other teams, you know, who go in with the winning record, the other four teams who go in 3-0, and my my Las Vegas Raiders, the Arizona Cardinals, the Carolina Panthers, and the Denver Broncos, you know, who would have thought? Who would have thought that going into week four? You know, them teams would be 3-0 and even at this stage. I'm like you, Jordan. I'm rocking a team who's other... Than my own team. I don't mind what NFL jersey I wear. As long as I don't wear me in a conference rival. I like to wear them around the house and in the gym. And I can find them quite cheap. I'm wearing Clear Matthews number 52 today for the Green Bay Packers. Bone shaking his head. Because he's obviously a division rival. So I'm wearing this more sort of piss bones off than anything else, you know. But yeah. Yeah. Five teams, three, you know. Four of them I would never have picked at the start of the season. Yeah, um, Clay Matthews, a fantastic cameo in Pitch Perfect too. I don't know if that's going on with anyone else's <laughs> there and stuff, but yeah, fantastic. I'm sure Bones would love to agree. Um, how about you, Bones? You know, um, like Mac, a good point from Mac there. That, that's why we love the sport so much because it's so, you know, like uh, each week is so like out there and like it's so different and stuff. What about you? Did you see anything that stood out to you for week three? Week three, um, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, I'm impressed. Personally, the the first of all, the Lions were in in any of the games they were in. Like we were never we've, with the zero and three. Let's be honest, we we're a bad team, but we weren't out of the games at any point. You know, I mean, we were still within potentially giving them a run for the money. It didn't pan out any times, and if it had been Matthew Stafford, it probably would have. But that's besides the point. Um, all, all my NFC Championship prediction and my MVP prediction not looking so ridiculous right now. After uh, the Rams went and beat reigning Super Bowl champions, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about those predictions. But it's week three. I don't want to overreact. But, you know, I'm happy to see Stafford doing well in L.A. as well. I watched that game. That was probably my favorite game of the week because I said going into last week, 
that's my NFC Championship preview match. I want to watch that game, and it was good. It was enjoyable. Yeah, well, it was like I, I did feel feel for your bones in that one because, like, even though like <laughs> it was such a historic moment that um, that field goal kick, you know, it were. Yeah, well, the less, so the less the less talked about that final drive, the better. I didn't want to bring that up, but you know, a missed you know missed jump call, a missed uh, delay of game call, a potential intentional grounding. But yeah, whatever. Have a sixty-six yard field goal. I don't care. What is the record? Congratulations, Justin Tucker. You set a record that indoors as well. Let's just remember. I just wanted to credit Justin Tucker with this. This isn't a guy who had the wind at his back. This is an indoor stadium. He kicked it 66 freaking yards. Like, fair play to the guy, but they shouldn't have been in the position to have that field goal anyway. But either way, he did make it. Sorry, Bones. Uh, JP, how about you? Christ, well, I don't want to talk about last-second field goals either, to be honest. Don't, don't support a good team from the West Coast that gets picked to do primetime games. Otherwise, you will go to bed at 4.35 a.m. having just seen your team lost, lose on the last play of the game. Uh, we were, the, to me, we were the direct inverse of the Seahawks. We were crap in the first half and good in the second half. Um, so I don't really know what to make of this team just yet. But aside from that, I think we're still seeing things develop <coughs> across the league. Um, you know, I don't think we really know who's good yet, but we certainly know who isn't good. Uh, New York, I'm looking at you. Um, I, that, that was the main takeaway for me. Some of these teams look like they're in for a very, very long season indeed. So JP's back after a few weeks off, and he's getting his dig on with it with the with the Giants there. So <laughs> good to have you back. So that's our thoughts from week three. Let's um, go straight into stock up, and um, Bones is going to pull the um, the legendary piece of artwork he's got up there. It's fantastic work, and um, we're going to start off with Dan Quinn, Dan Quinn, defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. You know he's obviously he's, he's, he's had time at Seattle, so I remember him well, but. We've, we've put him up there because obviously they're doing really well on defense. I think I, I read somewhere they're one of the best, um, especially in coverage, one of the best defenses in, in in the NFL at the moment. And this is coming off where, where they were one of the worst last year, you know. And, and obviously they've added a few new tools on that side. But I'm, I'm me for one, I'm I'm really surprised how well they've done on defense. I knew that they would be fine on offense, but defense they've um, Dan Quinn is, is really is really getting up like like digs cornerback like last year wasn't at the best but he's been playing some really good football at the moment and obviously that we, we all know about Mika Parsons we, we, me and Mark talked about him a lot before he came in and he's working miracles there JP obviously you saw a bit of this uh, oh sorry Bones sorry bit of a mistake there Bones <laughs> you've seen a bit of this Cowboys game yeah I've watched I watched the Manning cast of this game because, I mean, it's going away for a few Monday nights. But if anyone has got Game Pass, I recommend on Monday nights when it comes back, watching Eli and Peyton talk about football because it's, it's fascinating. Like, I learn something new every every week watching that. But, um, yeah, the thing about Dallas this week is, like, their offense didn't really have to do as much. Like, they ran the ball an awful lot because they were never behind. They didn't have to go for these big you know, that can throw the ball the dallas cowboys can play you know passing offense but they didn't have to their defense played it sensationally like you you mentioned they went from one of the worst last year to one of the best this year and for the most part it is vastly the same personnel like yeah they added mika parsons we all had in the draft previews them taking a defensive player i think a lot of it was um cornerbacks initially we thought they were going to take quite high up but 
and I think, yeah, I think the Cowboys is a very interesting one right now because they've they've flipped it with very little change other than coaching change, which really does go to show how much of an impact coaching can play on the game. But it was a good game. Like, it was a really good game. And like I say, listening to Peyton and Eli talk about football and coverages and talking to all those other players and people is just absolutely fascinating. LeBron James was on it for a bit. It was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I think what's... It's, it's amazing what a few playmakers can do on one side of the ball to really improve how you view that side of the ball. You know, like the Cowboys were devastatingly bad last year. And realistically, you know, like this year, they're still giving up yardage and stuff like that. It's not that they're being really tight. It's that they've got bona fide playmakers on that side of the ball. The emergence of Trayvon Diggs here has been just huge for him. It's his third game in the row of an interception. This one was a pick six. Um, you know, last year in the draft process when the Raiders took Arnett, there was two cornerbacks. There was actually three that I really liked, but one of them had already gone. Atlanta had taken Terrell, who I did like. The other two who I liked were Christian Fulton and Trayvon Diggs. What I liked about Diggs is I like what I've always said. He's an athlete. He's got really good hips. He turns really well. He stays in transition really well in man coverage, but he also makes plays on the ball. And he's got that NFL pedigree in his brother, Stefan Diggs, as well. And last year, he, he had a rough ride in Dallas, but everybody did. But there was glimpses of Trayvon Diggs at the back end of last year where you kind of went, yeah, it's starting to come together for this rookie. This year, the kid's just been, I mean, absolutely lights out. Um. Not so much this game, but the game before when they played the LA Chargers, they played a very, very good LA Chargers offense. You look at that LA Chargers team, you've got Mike Williams, who's balling, you've got Ekla, you've got Keenan Allen, and you've got Justin Herbert, who's fast developing and looks absolutely terrific. You know, looks absolutely terrific. That down Quinn defense held them just 17 points in LA. And Trayvon Diggs shut Keenan Allen down. How many, how many, how many corners out there are shutting Keenan Allen down? You know what I mean? No, Keenan Allen's going to be a 10 catch 100 yards game kind of wide receiver week in, week out. But yet, Trayvon Diggs just looks like he's progressing. And, you know, like it, it looks like he's going to be a fixture in the NFL for a long time, which I think anybody who were watching him at Bama, bearing in mind he came out as a junior, saw that he had this potential in him, you know? <clears throat> I've got like a, just a quick one for you, Mark Fireback. You know, because obviously, like I, I know Dan Quinn well at, um, from Seattle Times, and he's, and he's he built. He had obviously had some fantastic players, and, and he all round coaching is fantastic. Cowboys were so bad last year. What has, has he has he made every area better, or is there certain areas that, that he's made better? I wouldn't say that he's made every single area better. They're playing a cover three, which when you play a cover three, it means that you drop three deep. And it means that it's about cover three. What cover three is about? We play cover three as well at the Raiders. It's about not giving up the big play, but then the opposition have the underneath. What what you need to be able to do is you need to be switched on. What you Because what you need to do is you need to come downhill and stop them yards after carry. I mean, you know the cover three, Joe, and you've played in it for a long time as well. It seems to me that he's got the right players in the right position to do what he wants to be able to do. You know, Michael Parsons is an incredibly reactive, he can play in defence and he can cover sideline to sideline. Trayvon Diggs is getting really sticky in coverage and shutting people down. 
and he's opportunistic when he when the ball's in the air. The ball in Keanu Neal from the Atlanta Falcons, who's a safety, who's now been converted at the linebacker. Again, he gives that kind of pace on that underneath. So when you're giving them the underneath throws and you're like, we're going to stop the 20-yard bump, but we're going to let you have this four-yard dump off. It's important to not let that four-yard dump off turn into an 11-yard gain. And players like Keanu Neal and Michael Parsons who are flying around the ball and that kind of stuff, they're making that they're making that work, you know? I wouldn't say that they're, they're frightening at pass rush. You know, like Lawrence is probably their best pass rusher and he's out and Michael Parsons has come in and generated pass rush, but we all said he's he's that kind of freak athlete. He'll be able to do that. But, I mean, I wouldn't say their front four is brilliant, but what I would say is they've got pace and they've got playmakers in the right areas. And that's kind of what's making this defence look better. The fact that they've got a couple of playmakers in Michael Parsons and, and Trayvon Diggs. Yeah, cheers, Mark. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to watch them going forward. You know, like they were so bad last year. Like, it, yeah, it could only get better surely this year, and it's got significantly better. Than, and I see your points there, Mark. You know, just each different. You know, taking one play at a time and just like not giving up the big plays and stuff. And you can put the pressure back on the offense, putting them in like second and ten. You know, like second and eight. You know, third and seven, third and six. You know, putting pressure back on them. And if you're just giving up first downs constantly. You're just going to put the pressure back on yourself, so it'll be interesting to see them, um, like how they go forward. I mean, it's never going to be a stingy shutdown defense, but you've got to remember it doesn't have to be. What the Cowboys have is they have a bona fide top five offense, they don't need to have a top 10 defense and a top five offense to be good this year. What they need to have is they need to maintain what they've got on offense, which at this moment in time, it was Zico went off this week and Dalton Schultz. You know what I mean, though? Like, they, they, it seems to be a different person every week who's going off for the Cowboys, which is ideal. Rugs. Uh, one week it's Lamb, next week it's um, it's Cooper, then it's then it's Pollard, and this week it was Zeke, and it was it was uh, Dalton Schultz. So they've got a bucket load of weapons there. They don't need to have a top five offense and a top ten defense. What they've got to have is they've got to have a defense that gets the middle of the pack, um, and that's what this defense is doing. Turnovers will win your games, especially when you're going to the playoffs. And this this is a team that's got players who have got the potential to turn the ball over for you, you know, and give you good field position. Or in this case, capitalize up with a pick six, you know, John. Yeah. No, definitely. So moving on to the next one, we, it's, it was only a matter of time before he came on. He obviously had his struggles in week one, but we, we know how good of a quarterback Josh Allen is. And he's um, he's really stepped up over these last last few games, we, and he's gone on the stock up this week after last week's performance. John, you watched this one. What did you make of Josh Allen? And I, I know we know he's he's good anyway, but did you see the old Josh Allen from from last season coming at the back end? Yeah, I was watching with interest because, to be honest, I've seen a little bit of the Bills you know, the first couple of weeks, and they were kind of I wouldn't say winning in spite of him, but he certainly wasn't the the force of nature he was last season. He he was generating their entire offense at one point last season. They had no running game. You know, he was basically the guy. Um, wasn't really seeing that this year. <clears throat> and even in week two, they had a big win, but it was largely down to defensive play rather than anything spectacular by the offense. So I was kind of intrigued going into this week um, as to what they would be able to do against Washington. We've, we've talked to Washington a lot on this podcast, you know, defensively. 
I think in general as a team, we've talked about quite a bit. So for me, it was a real test of how good he was. And I thought he was excellent. The bit, the game I saw from him was very much reminiscent of last season. And given that they're <coughs> handing out that big contract on him, I think the, the Bills will have been relieved to see that. But also it makes them a real contender in that, uh, in that conference now. Because if he's playing at that same level, they're going to be very, very tough to beat. Yeah, John, you know, like, I never watch this game, so I'm going to ask you some questions on it. But before I do, this this is this is telling that. This answers some questions about Josh Allen for me. You know, like, we all said it, what Josh, what Josh Allen is the Josh Allen? You know, is it 2019, 2018 Josh Allen? who was one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks going, who generated yards through his legs, who was still a playmaker, but wasn't always making it happen through his arm. And then obviously last year, he had this absolute massive leap. And you thought, well, is that the real Josh Allen or is that the anomaly? Which one is it? And the way the season started off, it made me kind of think, ah, well, maybe somewhere in between the middle of 2019 and 2020. This game at least in the box scores, and this is what I'm going to ask you, looks like it was 2020 Josh Allen. It looks like it was the closest carbon copy to what Josh Allen was last year, which, let's face it, was a bona fide MVP challenger. He was absolutely terrific. He had a PFF grade over 90. You know, the, the, the kid played unbelievable last year. Um, I guess the, I guess there was always that worry because we'd always seen it. Well, not for, not for us personally. We're not invested in him. But I guess for the owners of Buffalo who give them that big contract, there was always going to be that worry of us. Is this an anomaly? This has got to make them feel better, John. I mean, was his game as good as his box score, say? For me, yeah, I thought he was excellent. Um, he, I think there was a few games last season where his stats were um, were incredible, but he didn't actually have that good a game when you watched it live. you know. But I think this was probably one of those games where the two married up really well. I thought he was... I thought he was superb, and um, you're absolutely right. You never really know how a player is going to respond to a big contract. You know, once they once they make the big money, it's kind of some players do check out or maybe aren't as driven to be top players. And a team like Buffalo, which is traditionally not a contender, that's even more likely for me. They're not, you know, generally they've not been up there year in year out and things like that. So sometimes you get a bit of a drop off there. But I I thought he looked really good. Um, I think. You're right. I think there's a there's an element of okay. Do we actually know much about this guy? We've seen one incredible year and one one bad year, and the fact is that teams will adjust to him this season because they've seen what he's capable of now. And I like you, I wondered in the first couple of weeks. Hmm. Okay, if teams found him out a little bit, they've got a full season of film on him and that offense now. It's not really changed a lot in the off season. Our team's working on shutting it down, and to an extent, I suppose they probably are, but. Washington were nowhere near doing it to him the other day. I thought he was. I thought that was uh, one of the performances of the week. Do you know what I find interesting with the Bills at this moment in time, and particularly when I look at this, just how they're doing it, and it's not all on Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen this time. Last year, that connection between them two was so key, and we all pointed out in the preseason they don't really have a running game as much. They're probably the most effective runner on their team is probably Josh Allen. And Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are a bit of a mishmash of skills together, which create one running back. So we know that not going to be a team who are going to be continually running the ball 25, 30 times a game. 
Um, and really, I suppose the worry would have been is will teams not just double up on digs and shut him down? I saw Dawson Knox got a quarterback, uh, got a touchdown in this. I really liked him as a tight end coming in. He looks like he's emerging as a young tight end. And the favour him in the red zone, he got some touchdowns last year. He's in the paint again this year. Emmanuel Sanders really impressed us in this game, to be honest, as well. Um, I didn't think he had much left in the tank, and I don't know how much he has. But one thing is for sure, he's been a very good number two wide receiver in this league for a long time. And they've got to be pleased with how he's came in and being able to lighten some of them targets off Stefan Diggs. And give them an option B, I suppose, John, you know? Yeah, Sanders is a really interesting case because I think he's one of those receivers that obviously he played for us for a little bit in the Super Bowl run, played for the Saints last year. He's he's not a guy now that's got the athletic ability to run away from players, but what he does have, like a lot of receivers that had long careers, he's got the brains. And he's he's that he's a guy that Josh Allen really needs, I think. A veteran guy that can get open on third down, who can get open for possession catches. Because we know what Diggs can do. You know, we know what a couple of the other guys on that offense can do. They need another solid contributor, and I think they've got it with them. I really like Manuel Sanders. It was a bit of an under-the-radar signing because there weren't many teams chasing him this year because he hadn't, he didn't have a great season last season. But I think he's worked out, <clears throat> worked out really well for them. And I think they've got to keep... Um, putting those kind of weapons around him. And the more he has of those, as you say, it's less easy to double up on the big names like Diggs and stuff. So, yeah, I thought he was excellent uh, this week as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good point, Sanders. Like I said, there's not much expected on him. You know, obviously you've got um, you've got Diggs there and for how much trouble um, Beasley's caused in the offseason, he's still, he's still a, a reliable target for, for the Bills. You know, he, he picks up a lot. He has probably probably more so than he did at the Cowboys, really. He's, he's really his game's really lifted since going over there. And I agree with Mark as well, Dawson, Dawson Knox. It's just going to be down to that running game. Like, like you say, probably not going to ask them to run that much, but there's going to be games when they need to run. And that'll be the that'll be the big question for the Bills. I've, I've got no problems with Josh Allen. I think he can He's a fantastic quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Can throw, can throw any ball you want, you know, you know, on his day. And um, like I say, he's, he rightfully deserves to be on stock up this week after last week's performance. So moving on to the final one, it's uh, the Cleveland defense. Um, obviously, it was against the Bears, but you only can play who's in front of you, and they did exactly that. I, don't, I didn't actually watch this game, um, but I know. They had a lot of sacks, but I know Bones watched it. So, how bad was it? I mean, it was pretty bad. I mean, I I watched it, and I think I think what's interesting to look at here is I don't think this is Justin Fields failing necessarily. I don't think this is their running backs failing necessarily. This seems to be, and like the O line got absolutely eaten alive by the Browns, like. Last year, the Bears had like two 1,000-yard rushes on the season by the end of the year. And this game, they couldn't even get that going. Like, it's all it's one thing having a rookie quarterback and not being able to get the rookie quarterback going in his first couple of games. You know, it's tough. But not being able to get either of your 1,000-yard rushes going at all is is bad. Like, that's bad. And there were standout players across that front seven for the Browns. I mean, what do you think, Mark? Do you, would you agree that this that this looks like it's... As much the Bears O line just being utter trash as it is the Browns eating them, or do you think this is all the Browns being monsters? To be honest with you, when you look at the statistics, 
you know, like Matt Maggie called it an awful game here. Just absolutely awful. Just flat awful. You know, and and in this this Browns front ate the Bears alive. You know, like there was nine sacks, which you said. I'll go for the pressures for the Browns of defensive line in a moment. Overall, the Bears in this game only gained 47 yards. That's all they gained in this game. They had 60, um, 68 passing yards, but they lost 67 yards in sacks. So they gained a net one yard on passing. Um, I read somewhere that um, Justin Fields was under pressure 55% of all snapbacks. Now, that's not, that's not just passing dropbacks. That's all dropbacks. That means that 50, like over half the time that ball was being snapped, there was players in the backfield pretty much instantly. And there was GOK shutting down the run with tackles for loss. Miles Garrett had himself a good game. Um, Jadavian Clowney looked really impressive this game. Um, you know, like, I mean, Miles Garrett's obviously going to get the Lord. It's four and a half sacks. It's just tremendous. He looks superhuman. He's he's just absolutely freaking here, Chan. He's right up there with, with Joey Bosa as the best pass rusher in the NFL. And I would still say Chase Young. Even though his um, even though his, his production isn't matching what he is, you know, um, I would say, yeah, and, and but Jadavian Clowney looked like the Jadavian Clowney who was being drafted. I think you know he spent some time on your Seattle Seahawks. He went to the Titans. He, he he seems to have found a home here in Cleveland, opposite Miles Garrett, and the two of them wrecked havoc. You know, before I go at the breakdowns of pressures and stuff like that. I'm sure Jordan will want to comment something on Jadavian County because he can be frustrating, you know, like, but the talent's there. And I think this is why players in NFL franchise keep on giving them a chance because the talents are obviously there. And, yeah, it just looks like Cleveland and Miles Garrett and, you know, like what they're doing there, he's bought into it. I wish you had seen it, Jordan, or at least I'm sure you wish you'd seen it. Yeah, but like like you said, he came to us, and I was excited when he came over. I thought it was a fantastic deal, and we just didn't see the production that we saw at the Texans. And I know I know he had, had a few injuries over there as well, but he's still at both big numbers. Uh, and I just wonder, I'll come on, uh, JP can uh, can touch on this straight after, but I just wonder. I, can't, I don't remember who was at the Titans when he was when he was there last year. I can't I can't remember if they had a standout uh, edge rush, but he had JJ Watt at the Texans, and he's got. Um, What's his name now? What's, what's his name? Miles Garrett. Garrett. Miles Garrett. We've got Miles <laughs> Garrett on on the Browns now. Do you does he need that extra special guy playing on the opposite side for him who might get double teamed to give him more options? I'm not. I don't mean that as in he's, in he's a bad player, JP. But do you think that is something where we see the best of him when he's got that extra special talent playing alongside him on the other side? I think if you look at most pass rushes in the league, that's true. That's true of the vast majority, isn't it? You need to be you need a rush in a in a group, really. You need depth. You need rotations. You know, you can't be on the the only one I can immediately think of off the top of my head who doesn't rotate a great deal is Joey Bosa. I think everybody else is is pretty much in a rotation, almost like pitchers in baseball. It's it's bizarre how how specialised that position seems to have become now. And I think it's ideal for Clowney. I think Clowney's one of those guys, 10 to 15 snaps a game, go after the quarterback. I just think it's perfect role for him. And I think what we are seeing is is kind of a microcosm of, 
one, his career, but also who he was as a prospect coming out. He's very hot and cold, but what a lot of people saw was a lot of those highlights in, in big games. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he was one of those guys that disappeared against Premier competition, but he was one of those guys that was a bit off and on, you know, not occasionally, you know, occasionally dominant. And I think it's kind of translated to the pros. And obviously, as you've alluded to, <coughs> he had a lot of injuries as well. I think one of the injuries that he had, he had microfractor surgery for, which is usually the death knell for an NFL career. So, I mean, to be playing at the level he is now is pretty impressive. But um, I think you're right, yeah. I think it does help that he's got those people to work with. He's got... (coughs) Sorry, I'm really struggling with my cough at the minute. Um, He's got those people to work with. He's got a rotation that he's part of. And that Browns defence probably from 1 to 11, he's pretty talented as well. The back end helps because the better the coverage is, the more time you get to pass rush as well. I think he's perhaps an underrated thing these days. Fields couldn't get anything going this game. And I think it's it's hard to put it on the rookie. You know, like it wasn't like he was taking a hold on the ball or taking too long to make decisions. The ball was literally in his hands. And the second it was in his hands, he had bodies on him. And this pressure count will show you Miles Garrett had 26 PR pass rushing snaps, eight pressures, and an additional five sacks on top of it. Jadavian Clowney was actually in on all pass rushing sets alongside him. Six pressures, two sacks additional on it. Malik Jackson, 25 pass rushing snaps, two pressures, one sack. Um, Tack McKinley, 15 pres- uh, pass rushing snaps, two pressures, one sack. Jeremiah Wilson Kamamora was only asked to pass rush three times. He had a pressure and a sack out of it. You know, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Harrison, the safety, was sent on two blitzes. That generated a pressure and a sack. You know, like, what, what's, your, what's a young quarterback going to do when he's facing that kind of onslaught? The ball was in his hands, and there was literally people on top of him. Um, you know, at this stage of his career, Jason Peters... It's just an A4 piece of paper at left tackle for the Bears. Because that's all he is. He's just a CV. That's all he is. He's a CV. He's living off his past name. And it's it's horrible to see because, look, Jason Piaz is going to go to the Hall of Fame. You know, like he's been one of the best left tackles throughout his career. But what we're seeing there at this moment in time is just a CV at left tackle. He's a gate. He's a piece of paper. He's that easy to get around. And look... We all had promise for the Bears at the start of the season, and we were all quite excited for what they were going to do with Justin Fields. With this old line this bad, I don't know. Like you, you, you kind of, I don't know what they're going to do. And Matt Nagy as well needs to simplify his play calling and give his kids a chance. Um, it was it was a really dominant performance by um, the Browns, you know, and, and the Bears defense kind of did their part they, they, they hung around and the Robert Quinn had a good game and stuff like that like you know I mean it just must be frustrating for the Bears fans that once you've got one side of the ball performing you can't get the other side performing um the game was lost at the end of the second quarter just going in before half time uh Baker Mayfield led a really nice long drive and finished it with a lovely touchdown pass to Austin Hooper and from that point like the game was just gone for the Chicago Bears, and Fields was really in survival mode, you know. But I think that this, if Clowney can be this number two to Miles Garrett, I think this is the best pass rushing duo you've got in the NFL at the moment. I think this is the best. 
bracket you've got. And the two of them are so versatile. Both of them can kick inside. They can switch ends. They can rush from different positions. If they continue this form, they're going to be really hard to stop those two. They're going to, they're going to get sacks this year. I think Garrett's going to get... I, th I think Garrett could be on for breaking the record, if truth be told. Because Jadavian Clowney mean, means that, means that you've, got, you've got to assign something to him as well, you know? Yeah, I think, um, like we mentioned earlier, with the Cowboys' offence being so good and the defence is obviously stepped up, but not as... Um, you don't have to too much, and it's not as good as the offence. But I look down at this Cleveland um, team, and they just look really good on on defense really really stacked you know like even in the even in the back you know obviously we went we mentioned in the past what the what they've brought over and the offense you, you just have to look at the offense they, they, know, they know they're good they've got a one two uh punch you know, on on offense you know with chubb and um, hunt so i did see a few highlights of this and of, of chubb and hunt especially and, and they, they looked unbelievable you know like um uh, the, the, they were especially kareem hunt I, I can't remember how much they pay him now because obviously i had his um problems and I don't think they paid him as much but they must be stealing whatever they're paying him it must be it must it mustn't be that much but he was unbelievable you were like an RB one that get paid a lot of money elsewhere obviously we'll see what happens with that but um yeah Mark I know you want to touch on Mayfield real quick yeah look I think we all give Mayfield a bit of stick and I think it's probably because of the adverts during NFL Network that we don't like them you know Mayfield's progressing as a quarterback in this system He's never going to be a world beater. He's not going to be Josh Allen like we were talking about earlier on. He's going to be a fringe top 10 quarterback. But he's he's making some really good throws. He's got such a very, very strong arm. You know, like he's got a right cannon for an arm as Mayfield, you know. And I think people overlook that because he's quite slight and he's quite small, but his arm's huge. You know what I mean? He's got a real, he's got a real good fastball. And the throw that he threw to Hooper, you know, like for the touchdown was just something of beauty. And he's surrounded by playmakers. OBJ was back in this game making grabs. Kareem Hunt was just marvellous with the ball in his hands and catching the ball. You know, um, you've got Chubb who can punish teams. This is this is a, a really well-balanced team, this. This is a really well-balanced team, this Browns team. Um, and with, the, you know, like the Chiefs and them not looking like the struggling at the start of the season. This this Browns team could be the best team in the EFC, you know. Yeah, it's um, one that I think a few of us said at the start of the season that it's it's one team to look out for and see if they could push. We said the Chiefs at the time, and, and I know it's early, but Chiefs are one and two at the moment, and they they want one win game against them. So it's it's one to look out for. I'm just going to throw that before we move on to stop down. I'm just going to, obviously Jamie from the third and short has been mentioning um, his love affair with uh, Jameis Winston, which is seems to be. Just go on and on, and obviously, yeah, the stats are, are right that most of them says. But I didn't watch the Patriots game, but I'm just looking at the box stats, and he had 13 for 21, 128 yards, and two touchdowns. He obviously didn't have to do much, and I don't think Patriots put that much pressure on, on teams at the moment, anyway, as well. So, and we, and we, I think we've all always said that put pressure on Jameis, it crumbles, it crumbles like a, a rubbish absolute rich tea in that when you dunk it in a cup of tea and it all falls to bits in at the bottom that's what james winston's like when he puts when he put pressure on him give him time he'll, he'll throw uh he'll throw touchdowns yeah but i look at them box scores 13 21 one to eight yards two touchdowns looks like college looks like college quarterback to be honest with you we've a run team but i didn't watch the game so i can't comment too much but we all know that james winston is bang average don't we lads 
below bang average below bang average you know like when we think about it you know if you want to put anything on stock up unless Jameis Winston's playing on defense and catching interceptions from Mark Jones you know what I mean though like he's not going on to stock up because it was the Saints defense that won this game three interceptions That's again again the Green again. Bay the Green Bay game was the exact same story it was entirely the Saints defense that won the game and Jameis just went eh like once it's a very good defense. It's a, it's a very this Saints defense is very good. It's it's arguably currently maybe the best in the NFL. Maybe you know what I mean. Or with the Browns, you could compete with maybe you know. But this Saints defense is is a is a very very good defense. And when you're taking the ball out, I mean, you know, turnovers are going to win your games, just like James Winston's turnovers are going to throw your games. You know, and that's what you see. That's what you see, don't you? You know, James Winston cost them the other week. In a defense water bat this week, and it's all about turnovers. You know, if you can limit Jameis's turnovers and just get him to dink and dunk a little bit and get him to play conservatively and try for the love of God to get him to use a brain or whatever he's got in there, his T-Rex walnut brain that he has. You know what I mean? Though you'll you will you will be all right. It's but it's about protecting him. He's terrible under pressure. But you know what happens? You know, when you build a lead, teams can't pass with you <laughs> because you've got a lead. You know what I mean? And you're, and you're, and you're just going to run the ball. And that's what's happening. You know, when they're, when they're playing for the lead, they're not seeing pass rush and Jameis will look all right. But if they go behind and they're having to throw the ball, Jameis is going to look terrible. But it's a defence. It's a defence that should really be stock up. If anything, unless Jameis is playing corner, I'm not putting them on stock up, like, you know? Uh, I think that's... Um... Quickly, <laughs> quickly, what about this comment, though? Like, just someone come in on this. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll come in because I'm I'm known as the biggest Winston hater on this on this podcast. So I think Mark's pushing me close. I feel like I'm gonna end up saying this till I'm blue in the face, which the way I'm feeling at the moment might not actually be that long. But um it's Sean Payton. It's not Jameis Winston. You could put there's that old thing about if you give a if you give an infinite amount of monkeys an infinite amount of typewriters, they'll eventually write Shakespeare. Well, it's similar for Sean Payton. If you keep sticking dodgy quarterbacks, he will get something out of them. That's who he is as a coach. He's a top-class coach. I think people are massively underestimating that. And you're right, the defence is, is is a big part of what they're doing right now. But basically what they're doing is they're getting themselves a lead and then basically turning it over to Winston and going, don't fuck it up. And two weeks out of three, he hasn't done that. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, he won't do enough. Uh, I, he's... He's to use an old Bill Walsh quote. He plays just good enough to get you beat. So that that's where it's going to end. I know. I, I've just seen the comment in the chat. Peyton's a dick. I'm not saying I like the guy. I'm saying he's a good coach. You know, there is a difference. Um, as for the uh, as for the more than James Winston. Well, yeah. I mean, Murray and Mahomes throw the ball more than ten yards down the field on given passing plays. That generally leads to more interceptions. Plus, they're throwing the ball about three times more often. You know, it's. it's the Saints' offense at the moment is Pop Warner football, and it, it happens to be working because the defense is really good and Sean Payton is really good. I am sick to death of having to have this discussion about Jameis Winston every week. He is not a good NFL quarterback. Anyway, deep breaths. Do you know if he was a good NFL quarterback, the team who drafted him number one, number one overall, wouldn't have let him go after his rookie deal. That's that, that, that's if he was a good quarterback, that's what would have happened. And you know what would have happened after he had been left. Teams would have been queuing up to sign them instead of instead of the scenes getting them at the last possible minute, where like almost Jameis Winston's paying them to play football. Like you know what I mean? 
Like, I don't know, I don't know on what planet people are on where people are coming out going, Jameis Winston is a viable NFL starting quarterback. Let's be fair here, it's not people. System. You won't be <laughs> in this system with this defense. But you put Jameis Winston in 31 other franchises, and Jameis Winston is not looking good. He doesn't even look good here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it doesn't even look good here. It, it's it's a, it's just a mental kind of thing. I, I just don't get it. You know what I mean? He's, he's, it, it's, if you want to praise anything in this, praise Sean Payton and praise the Saints defense because that's what's winning the games. I think we can uh, put a full stop on that. And uh, never speak and never have to speak about this again. Um, Jamie Crawford's probably going to leave the chat as we're speaking now. He's devastated. But moving on to uh, stock down, um, we're going to come back to you, Matt, because obviously I didn't see any of the raises. Jamie, you've got Andre James on there. Tell us why Andre James is on there. Because he can't snap the ball. That's <laughs> the top bottom of it. He's a centre who can't snap the ball. You know, and, and it's not so much, look, I'm, I'm look. I'm not digging out Andre James. This is a bit of something in general, okay? Andre James was a was a, was a centre that for the last three years has been buried on the practice squad of the Raiders. We've been fortunate enough to have an all-pro centre in Rodney Hudson ahead of him. James came in for one game, didn't look great, but didn't fuck it up either. And all we've heard for the last year or two is how we've got this young centre who Tom Cable loves who's understudied of Rodney Hudson, and we've let Rodney Hudson go when he's still got something in the tank, and we've brought this kid in who's meant to be his heir apparent. Now, I'm not an offensive line coach. I don't proclaim to be an offensive line coach. John, you've been an offensive line coach. I imagine that one thing that centers do a lot is snap the ball, <laughs> especially out of shotgun. Bearing in mind, in college, you play about 90% of snaps out of shotgun. But he was yeah. an offensive tackle in college. But I'm guessing he should be able to snap the ball. The amount of balls which are coming hot, high, to Derek Carr off the hands of Andre James is unbelievable. We've played three games, and in each game, there's been one snap which has went directly over the head of Derek Carr. <laughs> Against the Baltimore Ravens, it cost us 21 yards. Okay. Against um, against the Steelers, it cost us 16 yards. And this week, it cost us 18 yards. Thank God there hasn't been a turnover from them yet. But, you know, this is one of those things. Stock down. You know, we've probably all had a player who we've moved on from. And we've probably thought, oh, maybe that was a year too early. Andre James makes me think. We moved away from Rodney Hudson way too early. At this case, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. If, I don't know if one of my friends, Matt, another Matt who I know, not not Matt, the other podcast Matt, but another Matt says that linesmen, that offensive line coaches tend to keep the girls that they went the dance with. So I'm guessing that Tom Cable is going to be loyal to Andre James because he's put his flag in him, but he's a disaster waiting to happen. He's a real disaster waiting to happen. Um, a centre who can't snap the ball. Have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous in your life? And even the ones that he does snap us well, he's having to slow it down. It's like underarming them. Derek Carr. 
You know what I mean? So much so that the Raiders are having to go under centre and not play on the snap gun, uh, on the shotgun, in order to generate offence because this kid's so bad at snapping the ball. John, you are the um, centre man. Sure, yeah. man. It's a bizarre thing, isn't it? You would think that that would be like job number one for a centre is to be able to snap the ball. It's literally the biggest thing they do on the football field. I know some centres do struggle with shotgun snaps because if they've not done it, it's not a it's not a thing that comes naturally to you. You do kind of have to work at it. But also, you would be practicing it constantly. I know when I know when we used to coach, you get the centre and quarterback exchange. They would be doing that in the warm up. Because you have to get familiar with each other. Now, maybe that's maybe that's the issue. He's obviously come in late because Hudson. I think he left quite late in the off season, didn't he? I, I feel like it wasn't it wasn't early on. So maybe there's maybe there's something there. Maybe they've not had a ton of practice time together. Although at this point, three weeks into the season, you would be expected something. It's it's truly bizarre. I, I must admit. I don't watch a lot of the Raiders games. I've seen I've seen sort of the end of the last few, but. I keep seeing the, the bad snaps on red zone. And I, I think to myself that there's guys that I used to coach that could snap the ball better than that. And it, it, it feels such a it feels such a fundamental skill to be a centre in the NFL that I just can't work it out. I just cannot work it out how, how he's not able to do it on a consistent basis. You've got to get one wrong every now and then. That's football, right? You don't get everything right. But to have one in every game, at least, is mind-boggling, to be honest. Johnny's snaps are that bad. I count the good ones instead of count the bad ones. <laughs> like it's like it's a surprise when there's one that's right. You're like, oh, he's had a good snap. And then the next three, like there's one here, there's one there, there's one hour here. Hey, thank God that Derek Carr's an athletic quarterback. It's like what the court, what that is it's like he's playing shortstop in baseball, is what the commentator <laughs> said this week. And it really is. He's he's catching the the ball's going out. It's like he's playing goalkeeper. It's like he's playing. Short to stop in baseball, it's got the it, it's got the point now though, where the Raiders are having to not run out of shotgun, and in second half and things like that, having to go predominantly under center because the kids that bad at it. You know, we've got Nick Martin who's been in the NFL and been a starting center for a long time, and granted he's not great, he's very average across the board at run blocking, arm pass blocking, but at least he can snap. One thing for Andre James is what I would say is he looks good in pass blocking. He looks woeful in run blocking. Did you see that clip I sent you this week where Andre James just got flattened in a run block? Luckily, the player flattened him so easily, tripped over him and ended up on the ground as well. <laughs> you know, it's just two of them ended up on the ground. But Andre James is just folded like this, you know what I mean? In some sort of run block, but it kind of worked because he managed to trip him up at the same time. It's just becoming comical, and for a team that's doing so much right, this is a really big wrong list. And it's 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 funny. It's funny, but it's not funny because it's my team. You know what I mean? I think um, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I, I didn't know much about him. To be honest with you, Mark, um, he, he, he played for. Um, he came from UCLA. He was undrafted, and he must have just. It's 2019, so that's just be, just. Just before I started watching college football, but UCLA are known for um, a good, good offensive line in the run. So it's surprising that you say that he's so he's quite bad. it's quite bad in the run game. But um, yeah, I remember that video. You put a big chat. It's comical, really. Like obviously, I can see it probably hurts you a bit more because it's your team, but it is comical. I think what makes it worse is, is that we clearly like them so much because we give them a big contract the day after Rodney Hudson left. 
and we'd only seen him play a handful of snaps for us. But Tom Cable had been going on. You know, he'd been on the practice squad. He'd been learning. Tom Cable was going, you know, like, don't worry about Rodney Hudson going. We've got this kid, Andre James, who's already made replacement. And we were hearing that as early as last season, to be honest with you. Um, look, Tom Cable's a really good offensive line coach, what he's done for Colton Miller. And, um, you know, Illumino, the British lad who's came in, looks brilliant at guard, looks very steady, to the point where I think, you know, we're not going to lose much from good. In fact, we might have improved, you know, from good being injured. Um, John Simpson looks decent enough. He's coming along at guard. Um, Leatherwood's struggling to say best, you know, particularly in pass rushing sets. And it's not even that good at run blocking, really, which is what you, you know, but he's young. He's young and he's, well, he's not young. He's a senior. But you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, he's young in his NFL career, um, is what I meant to say. Um, and you've got to think that he's going to learn something. This is the, this is the, this is the big red mark on the radar's roster at this moment in time. You know, like, I'm willing to give Leatherwood time because he's new. But this kid's been there three years and been studying and practicing and groomed, groomed for the last three years to, to take over from Rodney Hudson. If this is what we've got moving forward, it's going to be entertaining for, like, for those who are watching Red Zone and watching the radar's. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave that as there. Um, moving on to um, the next um, stock down, it's rookie quarterbacks who have, um, out of all the games so far, they've managed one win, which came from uh, Mac Jones. Out of them all, the only guy that's got a win at the moment. Granted, Davis Mills has, has, has played one game for the Texans and he's, he's, he's only lost one. And to be fair, I watched that Thursday night um, highlights game. He didn't look too bad, Davis Mills, you know, to say that he was drafted so low. He's a... Uh, I remember from Stanford, he's a steady away player and he, and he did okay. You know, they're not gonna, he's not an extraordinary like lights out player like Mahomes and so on, but he's um, he, he did okay. Um, I know we touched on Justin Fields a little bit, so I'll just touch on that before I get the other guys' opinions on the others. Justin Fields, we, we know that the Bears' um, offensive line were bad, didn't give him much time, but when he did have time, you could see the talent in him. He, he made, uh, I think it were two or three really good throws when he actually did get the time. I know not much of it. So he is a talent, Justin Fields, but obviously it's just, and it's just one of them things where the offensive line's not helping him. And sometimes he's a rookie, so he holds on to the ball just a little too long and a bit indecisive with maybe making a run and gaining some extra yards instead of holding around looking for that throw you know like I say he's a rookie you know he's going to make any mistakes but you'd hope that your o-line would hold out a bit better on more snaps to give you a bit more time um yeah i'll move on to the other guys now um but bones mac jones obviously is the only guy with a win he's um he's a steady away player like davis mills but the thing that i've seen with him i haven't seen much of the patriots but what i have seen is that he's looking decent while just playing short yardage passes what, what would you say that's true yeah i'd say that's you know that's pretty accurate he, he's he's playing the new england playbook and i i know this week he had a rough week he had a few interceptions one of at least one of which was definitely the more on the receiver than it was on mac it should not have been it should have been brought in you gotta come down with those balls but that's besides the point um the you know the playbook is what it is with new england you expect pretty short yardage so he's not out of the rookie quarterbacks got the biggest yards they run the ball a lot because that's the kind of offense they you know they tend to run um so you know we've seen a lot of the backfield 
involvement, you know, the rotation of their stable of running backs. Like, it, it, there's been a lot of situations where Mac hasn't, the game hasn't been riding on him. So his stats aren't incredible. But yeah, like you say, he's the only one with a win. New England did win against the Jets, I think it was, of all teams. But he looks, he looks good. He looks like he's going to be able to handle the New England playbook in the future. I think it's definitely, it's the problem with rookie quarterbacks, which I guess is why they're on stock down, isn't it? It is the, the the NFL is hard. Like it's not it's not college anymore. You're playing a different ball game, and it's going to take a bit of adjustment, I think. And yeah, I think I think Mike looks solid in his place. But I mean, the, the, he has to. There has to be more. The, there's only one receiver. I think it's Myers that we've really seen him connect on the regular with. That they seem to have a connection. But outside of that, the, these tight ends that Bill brought in over the off season haven't produced nearly as much offense as I think we all thought. You know, bringing in. Johnu Smith and uh ah oh, his name escapes me. Um Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, yeah, thank you. Bringing both of those guys, those are not bad tight ends in this league and I just don't think we've seen them produce nearly as much as I think most people thought they would. So yeah, I think going forward it could be good. Yeah, Mac Jones has definitely landed himself in the best situation, which is why I think most of the time he looks like the most stable NFL quarterback. What you've got to remember is you know when you're drafting at the top of the draft. It's because you're not a very good team. That's normally why you're picking number one or number two. It's because your team's rubbish. And you're not going to mask all those holes with a quarterback. And that's what we're seeing with Trevor like Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson. They're in really bad situations. That's why the Jags and the Jets were picking number one and number two. You know, like Trevor Lawrence hasn't got a great way of weapons to throw to. He's got an offensive coordinator. He's got a head coach who's, who's feeling his way around the game, an offensive coordinator who's very bland. He hasn't got great weapons around him. Etienne, who was drafted alongside him, is injured already. You know what I mean? And, and, and he's not in a very good situation. He's still a very good quarterback. There's throws there where you think, yeah, he's the best quarterback in this class. You know, like there is times where he looks brilliant. I'm not worried about these players, though, because they've been put into situations which are really terrible for them. The same would be said for Zach Wilson. The Jets are an absolute mess. The Jets are an absolute mess. You know they've got they've got they've, they've got very few players and playmakers you can hang your hat on, and the ones that have got are very young and early in their career. He's in a very very bad situation. You know what what they've got. I think what is alarming with the team like the um, Jets is that they've got nobody in there who can spell them when the going gets tough. It's going to be Zach Wilson, and that's it. It's going to be, you know, he's in a baptism of fire. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has got a bit more of that personality. I think he will be protected a little bit because he did go number one. I think if there's heat on anybody at this moment, it's going to be Zach Wilson because he's in New York. But what are you asking the kid to do? Who's he going to pass to? Who's he going to? Who's he got to protect him? Who's his, who's in his backfield? You know what I mean? No, it's it's it, it's he's in a really horrible situation. Um. And back to another horrible situation, Fields. We talked about the line at the Bears. You know, you can't expect your quarterback to pass the ball if you can't protect them. If he's got like point, point 0.5 seconds, if he's got point 0.5 of a second, how can you expect the kid to go through progressions, read and deliver a ball? So they're in, they're in really difficult situations, at least three of these four. Um and I would probably say Lawrence and Zach Wilson are in the most difficult because they're the worst two teams. I think there's a lot of pressure. And I'm going to come to you, John. I know you're going to have a little bit to see on this. 
but you're sitting there with with Trey Lance. And I know that there's a clamour from San Francisco 49ers fans, yourself included, to get Trey Lance in and give him a start. One thing I would say is Trey Lance is in a better situation than these. But there's got to, you know, when you look at what's happening to these at the top of the draft, you know, like you've got to think maybe Shanahan got it right all along, keep Garoppolo there and to bring Lance along slowly. Yeah, it's like I said on Monday on the other pod, it, it's hard to quantify what you do with Lance because if you think you're a contender, which I think we do think we are, you can't really throw a rookie out there. You know, I think I think it's asking a lot of a guy that has played, what, one, well, other than the, the snaps he's had for us, one professional football game in two years or something stupid like that. You know, it's, it's asking a lot of a guy, really. On the other quarterbacks, I mean... You touched on it yourself, Mark. I don't think there's a lot I can say, really. But, like, to me, that with Wilson and Lawrence, they're just being sold down the river, particularly Wilson. There's absolutely nothing in New York. I said, I think I said on Monday, it's an expansion-level team. It is. That roster is hopeless. Like, I don't know what they're expecting him to do with that team. And I'm not, you know, I don't particularly like the guy. And I'm not, I'm not bothered if he... Uh, if he fails, to be honest, but like he, he's got no hope of succeeding at the moment because there's absolutely nothing there for him to work with. Um, Lawrence, I think, has got a slightly different problem in that the roster isn't great, but it's not awful. But the way they're being coached right now and that offensive scheme is absolutely dismal. Urban Meyer looks like he's never coached a game of football before, which is a strange thing to say about a guy that's been so successful at the college level. But his offense is absolutely horrendous. And I don't know if there's a little bit of, oh, well, we'll play it safe because Lawrence can bail us out. Maybe with a better team, he could do that. But right now, that just isn't there at all. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling a bit for him. I think he's going, I think he's fine talent-wise, but I think that team is going in the wrong direction. And this is kind of true of him, Wilson, and to an extent, Fields as well. You've got to be careful what situation you put them in as rookies because you can do a lot of damage early. And also, if you keep changing head coaches and offensive coordinators, some players never get settled. You think about somebody like Alex Smith, seven offensive coordinators in seven years. How on earth do you improve? You're changing the way you're supposed to play every year on year. They've got to be very careful how they manage these QBs. Mac Jones, to me, is easily the best right now in terms of what he's able to produce on the field. The issue that I think he's having is that offense isn't actually very good. You look at some of the talent around it, they've spent a lot of money and they're not a lot better than they were last season. I saw a tweet on Sunday which said, Belichick the coach is far greater than Belichick the general manager. And I think there's some truth in that because some of the moves they've made have not worked at all. Um, I think um, I think you wanted me to touch on Lance a little bit more. There's not really a lot to say. He's not, he's not getting the opportunities that the others are, with good reason, as I say. They don't want to throw rookies in there too early. I get that. We still think we're a contending team. But I kind of wish we'd used him a little more. I think it's interesting. We struggled in the first half on um, on Sunday. He threw him in there, and it did kind of spark us a little bit, especially in the red zone. Um, Shanahan's red zone percentage has actually gone up this year quite significantly from where it normally, normally is, and I think that is a large part of having a different weapon to use in that scenario, something that defences have got to account for. But I'd like to see him use it a little bit more because at the moment we look a bit stale on offence, especially with no running game. So 
interesting to see if he, he utilises that more moving forward. Obviously, we've got Seattle this weekend, so if there's a game he's going to have a coming out party in, let's have it be that one. Eh? <laughs> Cheers, John. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 we'll get on to get we'll get on to week four matchups next week, and it's not one that I'm putting on the list of things to look forward to. Um, just a quick one, John, back back to because I was just about to ask you. Like, I, I, I saw Trey Lance in the first week, came in for a touchdown through. So we have seen haven't seen much of the 49ers week two and three. So he has been coming in and out. Is Jimmy G? Is Jimmy G doing enough? Is he? Is he? Is there any danger of him coming out, Jimmy? You know, Jimmy G, or is he looking good? Get the bleep machine ready. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be more balanced. I, I think. I want to see more from Garoppolo, but I feel like I've been saying that for the entire time he's been with the 49ers. So there comes a point where it's like, how how much more are you going to get out of this guy? I think the concerning bit for me is, well, it's symptomatic of the way the whole team's playing, but I think a team is largely defined by its quarterback some of the time. He, he can have really good spells against you. He's excellent in the second half, but he was absolutely awful in the first half. And... This is where you get people wanting Trey Lance in because we kind of know what Garoppolo is. That's who he's always going to be. He's going to be one of those guys who plays well for maybe 60-70% of the game, but the 30% that he plays badly costs you the game. And I think it's that balancing act that I've talked about every time this topic has come up. It's that balancing act of like, okay, do we stick do we stick with Garoppolo knowing knowing what he is? and hope that he can ride what could be a contending roster all the way again? Or do we stick Lansing and hope we can get that extra 10%? But then there's that risk that you're actually going to fall further back because he's a rookie. And we're seeing what's happening to the rookies right now. Mark's right, you know. If you're looking at what the rest of the rookies are doing, you'd be thinking, Jesus, don't put Lansing there just yet. But it is a far better situation. But I think Garoppolo's doing enough. I think he's going to have to have an absolute meltdown before he's yanked out of the lineup. I can easily see that happening in the next few games, <clears throat> but it kind of depends where we are. I think I think all season I've been kind of looking at potential like points where it could be the end for him. We've got the bye coming up in two weeks. Were we to lose both games coming up, I think the, the, the calls would be too loud to ignore at that point. I don't think we will lose both games, but if we did, I think that would be the definite end of it. Yeah, you'll definitely win one of them. Um so yeah, it's interesting rookie quarterbacks. Obviously, this is meant to be um, one of the best groups of rookie quarterbacks for for a long time. You know, with with the depth and it's it's funny to see them all struggling. Like I say, they, they are rookies. You know, you can't expect the world of them sometimes. I know some come in and it, it works out well. It's just one of them things where you've got to got. To, like John said, you you throw in and you can you can lose a rookie after five or six games and the, and the head's just gone. You know if you don't if you don't control it right. So it's really interesting to see how how it, how it goes on with them. You know, I, I, with the schedules and stuff, if they get some wins together, it might improve their confidence. But it's definitely one to to keep an eye on with them all um, struggling in different ways. Like say Matt Jones, probably the highlight, but it's, it's not he's not lighting he's not pulling up any trees. So moving up to our final uh, stop down, and it's uh, we put the Washington defense in there, and I, I think we all were in agreement at the start of the season how good this defense was. And um, I don't know if it's um, obviously there's some good players in there. I don't know if it's the lack of it's more the lack of depth, and obviously probably a bit of underperforming as well. Bones, Washington defense. Do you think it's um, what, what do you think about it? So 
I think the Washington defense as a whole is underperforming. I think a big spotlight is going to be on the D line, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute. But I think it's worth noting the the back the band the defensive backs communication has looked poor. Linebackers have not been doing a lot. But I saw I was reading an article. I think it was even today. In fact, earlier today I was reading an article about the Washington defense where the defensive line were described as as greedy. And that's part of the problem here is like Chase Young's so hungry for sacks, he's missing out on on quarterback pressures. He's missing out on potential like tackles for loss on running backs because he's just so eager to get this sack. And like no one is doubting this defensive line's ability. Like, but right now they're playing selfish and greedy. They're playing for themselves, they're not playing as a unit, it feels like. And I think that's you know, like they say, they're hugely underperforming what everyone talked them up to be this off season. And maybe, maybe we we gave them too much. Maybe everyone gave them too much credit. But like you say, right now it does seem like the, there's a big sort of there's an issue within the team more than just, there's not an, an issue with ability, shall we say? There's an issue with communication or play. The one question I did want to ask everyone, because obviously talking about Washington's defensive line, this is something very controversial that's come up this year and in general it, uh, and has been a talking point, but uh, roughing the passer. Chase Young's biggest potential sack of the, his only potential sack of the season really was called back for a roughing the passer call on Daniel Jones that was one of possibly the lightest roughing the passer calls we have ever seen in NFL history. Like It was kind of ridiculous. So, I mean, it was just a quick one I wanted to ask you. But like, How do we feel about that? Do we think this is something that is a big problem for players like Chase Young, who are big dudes? You know, that's 300 pounds a dude coming at you, and you're asking him to not like not fall on the quarterback, not tackle him a bit too hard, not anything. Like, It's, it's crazy, Like to me at least. I think these rules are overly protective of quarterbacks right now. But I wanted to put that out to the group because it's always a big talk. Was Chase Young in the NFL last year? Yes. So Chase Young should know what Wolf and the Passer is by now. This rule's been around, you know, it, it tight like the tightened up Wolf of the Passer last year, basically. Um, you know, like in like look, NFL players should now know what Wolf and the Passer is. If you hit them in the helmet, you're gonna get called for Wolf and the Passer. If you hit them late, you're gonna get called for Wolf and the Passer. If you tackle them with both feet off the ground at any point, you're gonna be called for Wolf and the Passer. And that's that's they should know that now. Max Crosby got flagged this week for it. And he was all, uh, 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 it was a boneheaded play because I let Miami Dolphins back into the game. You know, would actually stop them on um, on on third down, I think it was, and give them a fresh set of downs because they got rough in the passer. You know, and and, and it's and like look, Chase Young was in the NFL last year. He should have known. Now, don't leap at the quarterback with both feet off the ground. Don't hit him in the helmet, and don't go at him late. You know. They should know what this rule is now. And as far as I'm concerned, whilst last year it was frustrating, this year it's boneheadedness. You know, like anybody who's getting called for it's boneheaded. Because, yeah, look, it might have been light, but if you hit him in the helmet, you're going to get called for it. It's a flag now. You know what I mean, Bones? Um, and, and look, NFL players should be coached in that now. It's part of the game now. It's, it's not fresh rule. It's been there for 12 months. I think... What I want to say is, whilst we all looked at this Washington defensive front and thought that's really good, what we forgot is we forgot that there's nothing behind them. If you're playing this front 90% of the time, you're shattered by the fourth quarter, shattered by the third quarter. 
You know, when, you know, like it's great having four superstars on there, but if you haven't got a couple of adequate players behind them, then you're going to be gassed. I'm going to go back the Raiders. The Raiders haven't got a superstar on their defensive line. Max Crosby, Yannick and Gokwe aren't top 10 elite defensive ends. They might well be in the statistics, but, you know, they're not like a Chase Young or a Miles Garrett or, you know, a Joey Bosa or even a Nick Bosa. You know, what they are is they're, they're, they're very good NFL pass rushers. And what we've got is, is we've got a lot of them. We've got Yannick Ngokwe. We've got Max Crosby. We've got uh, Carl Nassib. We've got Solomon Thomas. We've got Phylon. We've got Quinton Jefferson. You know, there's six bodies there that I've just named off the top of my head. You know what I mean? And what that means is that means that we're bringing in a cycle of players continually. You know what I mean? Who are able to keep those two key ones fresh. We can take Max off the, for a couple of snaps and put Nassib on and feel confident that Nassib can do his job getting the quarterback. Do Washington have that same kind of luxury? It's like Sweat and Chase Young. If you're taking them off, who are you putting on? You know, and, and what it means, it means that by the third or fourth quarter, they're shattered. And I think we overlooked that when we looked at this Washington defense and thought, oh, it's brilliant. We looked at their starters, but we didn't look at their depth. Um, and I think we're going to have to maybe acknowledge that, that, you know, moving forward, it's it's the sum of a loss. That really isn't it. It takes more than a few standout superstars to be a good team. Yeah, the thing I noticed, because like I said, when we talked about Josh Allen, I watched this game. Um, you're right, the front four were knackered. And I think it's one of those things we talked earlier about needing a rotation at D-line, needing several good pass rushes. <clears throat> they, don't, they don't have that right now. They can make that work, but they haven't really got a second level to the defence either. But I don't know if it was communication, as you say, Bones. I'm not sure what it was, but linebackers and corners were, for me, they were giving up the middle of the field quite frequently. Josh Allen thrives in those sort of games where he can make the simple throws. I, I They were giving him far too many of those. Really bad safety play, really bad linebacker play. The corners themselves probably weren't too bad, but the, the guys you're reliant on for instincts and covering parts of the field, you know, perhaps in zone coverage or whatever, I, I, they, they just weren't there for me. And I think it was just, a, it was just an all-round poor showing. Um, I do think they'll get it right because of the fact that Rivera's coach, and I don't think he'll let it stand the way it is right now. Now, they can't do anything about the lack of depth on the D-line, but they can fix the other parts, and I think they'll be a better team when they do that. You've talked before, Mark, about coverage being more important than pass rush these days, and I tend to agree with that, and especially when you play the team like the Bills, because the Bills tend to be quite a shotgun-heavy team, a lot of short throws. You know, I think it's... They did the same to us last year, the infamous 35 first downs game. It was done in a lot of similar fashion, short throws against a decent pass rush, but knowing that they could exploit the second level. I think they just ran headlong into a bad matchup, but I also think that it exposed some flaws that we'd seen in the other games as well. I mean, any team that gives up that number of points to the Giants has got something wrong. So I think there's... There's definitely things to fix. I do think they'll fix it, but it, it isn't there right now. You can see why they drafted the linebacker in the first round as well. They obviously think there's an issue there. Um, so, interesting to watch going through the rest of the year, but it, it definitely wasn't the matchup for them this week. 
Yeah, just to pick on a point that you said there, John, you know, like from Mark races, uh, how important the skill position of coverage, you know, cornerbacks are. And I think it, it's, it, it's so important, you know, like as in if you can keep the ball in the quarterback's hand as long as possible for your pass rushes to get into the backfield. Yeah, granted, some people can get there faster than others, but if you can tie up that coverage, the quarterback's got no one to throw to. You know, it's um, it gives the defensive line so much more chance to get to the quarterback and put and put pressure on. You know, I, I, I totally agree with, with with that. You know, I know Mark's been piped on about it for, for many, many months ever since I've met him, and, and, and he is right. You know, it's um, so important. And if you're giving up, Easy yards, especially to people like Josh Allen. They're just gonna just gonna eat at me every every week, you know. And it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I don't know if they'll get it right. I'm, I don't. You, you might be right, John, but it'll be like I say, it's an interesting one to watch. So that's that completes our stock up, stock down for 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 week three. We're gonna move into our little areas that we like to bring up, and obviously, I look at the rookie performance of the week. I've gone for Jamar Chase on offense this week you know he's, he's actually picked up the offensive rookie of the month you know he's, he's been quite good across the board all month but he um he, he scored two touchdowns he only had four receptions off five targets but still managed to get 65 yards and two touchdowns he's, he's really obviously he, he knows uh, joe burrow very well they know each other from uh, from college and uh, they've been been brilliant like saying he's picked up offensive rookie of the month i wanted to, to go for a santi samuel jr on cornerback but since mark pointed me in the area of Jeremiah Usu Kanamoa and I do like him. I couldn't not put him in there. You know, we, we've mentioned earlier with the uh, the uh, Cleveland defence, you know, and like Mark said, he had a pressure sack, two tackles for loss. But this guy can do it all. He, he was so effective in stuffing the run, you know, against um, against the Bears, you know, and he, he's, he's so, he doesn't look like a big linebacker at all, but he's so good at like doing everything you know and he's going to be such a talent i can't i still can't believe that they've got they got him in the second round but yeah i just wanted to touch on a santi samuel jr for um for the charge because he had a brilliant game against um against the chiefs as well so that's a uh, move it that's the bookies of the week for me uh jp all line of the week from our division i believe yeah i i started to think about this and then i, I kind of realized there was no real competition when i thought about it uh, gone with the the Rams offensive line this week. Um, touched on it a little bit, I think, um, offline, but also and briefly on Monday's podcast as well. We've we've seen how good that Tampa defense is, particularly the pass rush. Arguably, won them a Super Bowl. Very arguably, as it turned out the day after. But nonetheless, it's it, it's a very good defense. It's an extremely good pass rush. The Rams completely stymied it, and. I wouldn't have predicted that. I think going into the season when we previewed the Rams, I think we said there isn't a lot on that offensive line besides Andrew Whitworth. And to be honest with you, I had to do some research on who actually starts on the other line for the Rams because they're not. It's not a known group of players. It's not you know. It's not. It's not big names. It's not household names. But what it is, and I did notice this, and I thought this was interesting. The interior, well, large part of the line. There's three homegrown players on that offensive line. Three guys they drafted. Mid-round picks as well. We're not talking like first-rounders here. We're talking second, third, fifth-round picks. They've developed, it It looks like, into a really good unit. Um, they had some struggles last year, I think, because injuries kicked in. But they kept Stafford clean. And I think everyone knows if you do that, he's going to have a good game. You know, he arguably never had an offensive line as good as this one. Arguably never had a team as good as this one. And I think I think you see it in the results. You can... 
we can say good things about Stafford, rightly so. We can say good things about the scheme, rightly so. You know, McVay is a good offensive, you know, a good offensive play caller. Stafford is a good quarterback, possibly great quarterback. But it means nothing if you can't block. We've seen that. Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the league and basically got taken out of the Super Bowl. Equally, you look at somebody like the Bears, how good's Fields? Do we actually know? He's got three seconds to throw the ball, if that, every time he takes a snap. So, yeah, for me, the Rams kept everything clean, kept everything in front of them, won the game easily. And that's the other thing as well. Having gone in front, I thought they were excellent at being able to run the ball, keep the game away from Tampa. And that's an underrated thing as well. But I think the biggest thing at the moment in the NFL, you can find run blockers. I I think you can coach anyone to run block. If they've got the size, you can coach anyone to run block. Pass blocking is a really specialised skill especially against some of the edge rushes that you see today. <clears throat> guys like Shaq Barrett, you know, people like that. These guys are hard to play against, but they did it perfectly. I was really, really impressed with them. It really annoys me because we're going to have to play them twice, and so are you. Uh, so, so are you, Jordan. But, like, yeah, it, it, they look a really good unit on the offensive line, probably for the first time I can remember in the last few years. They've always kind of had little issues there but then you look at who's starting now like I said they've got three homegrown players out there and you think to yourself they've gradually been building chemistry they've got an experienced guy in Whitworth on at left tackle which is you know quite a big thing as well um it makes a difference to have an experienced guy on your own line I think somebody that's seen it all before and yeah superb absolutely superb be interesting to see how many weeks to keep it up for because the Rams do tend to start fast but yeah can't can't fault them so far Cheers, John. It's nice to have you this week for the offensive line. We've we, we, we've we've avoided it um, for the last few weeks because we, you you know what you're talking about, and uh, you you are the boss man at, at that area. So thank you for that. Bones, I absolutely love this part. Voice of the voiceless. Who've we got this week? So this week, the, there wasn't any particular standout one person, I guess, as such. But there was a, there was a position as a whole that occurred to me. I was talking to the guys about this earlier this week, and it's a position that's going to be on everyone's mind this week. And it's it's kickoff and punt returners. It's guys that we we barely hear anything about. But then when you think about some of the biggest names in punt returning and kickoff returning, Deion Sanders, Devin Hester, Cordero Patterson, who's still playing today for the Falcons and having a pretty good season, in fact. Like now that he's found a role outside of you know outside of kick returning, like. These these are exciting players, and the reason I brought this up is because obviously Jamal Agnew had a hundred and nine yard field goal attempt return. So it's not it falls in a weird place on most stat sheets because it's not a kickoff return, it's not a punt return, it's it's a different special teams play, and you, special teams yardage in general is often a lost yardage that we don't really talk about. But special teams are hugely important in the game of football, and it's one of the things that makes this a great sport. Is it's such a uniquely team-based sport that every phase of this game matters like your special teams is still important where most teams don't care like a lot of teams have like just any wide receiver as their kickoff returner or any db like but you get these few teams that will go out and they'll get a special kickoff returner and jamal agnew obviously played his rookie season with the lions um and i absolutely love this guy i think he got four four returns whilst he was playing for us um played a bit of db played a bit of wide receiver never really found a role outside of that Got two more returns already this year. He got one in the Denver Broncos game um, that was an actual kickoff return, and he got that obviously the one we saw against the Cardinals. That's two already in three games. Like it's a pretty good start. I think one thing I did want to bring up with this is 
it's maybe not just the kick return, it's the whole kickoff return unit. Because much like we've talked about with running backs, much like we talked about with all these other positions, is you need people in front of you and kickoff returners need good blockers ahead of them. They need a good blocking unit to run them up the field with them. And if they've got that, like we've that's what we've seen this year with both the Jags ones for Agnew is the upfield blocking was outstanding. There was multiple plays where you'd see one player take out two two of the kicking team. Like and you know, Agnew's perfectly capable of making a couple people miss on his own as well, which combine those two things together, being able to make a couple people miss and having a blocking unit that can take a couple people out for you, you'll get you're gonna get special teams yardage at the very least. And yeah, 109 yards and a return on a TD is fantastic. But even just 10 to 20 yards a kickoff return beyond the 25 yard line is fantastic. That, that's incredible. That's one, maybe two downs that that person can take away for you. These guys are fantastic players. Remember when people thought Tyreek Hill was just a kickoff returner? Like, look at him now. Like, he's a fantastic wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. These guys are absolute gadgets. And I honestly thought Agnew going to Jaguars would. We'd see him play more than just kickoff returns. I honestly thought Urban Meyer would have a field day with this guy. He runs a four three forty. He's you know he's 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 not the biggest dude, but he's fast. He's rapid. He plays a decent back. Uh, he had a couple of fumbles, uh, false fumbles with the Lions, like I say. But I think that's the big problem with kickoff returners and punt returners in general is how do you value them if they can't find a role outside of kickoff and punt returning. And that's where we have the problems. But yeah, I wanted to bring it up this week, like I say, because of Agnew. Um, and I think, can can Agnew be Devin Hester? Can he just make his entire career out of kickoff and punt returns? I honestly don't know. I think he's on, if he keeps it up, he's potentially on track to. But I think most of these players, much like we've seen Cordell Patterson do, like I mentioned earlier, need to find this secondary role within the team. Even if it's a backup, even if it's your second or third string running back, beyond that part of the depth list depth chart as well but yeah kickoff returners and bump returners who talks about them they're amazing they, when they do go off they're incredible to watch i feel like it's become an undervalued position and it's largely because the nfl's tried to take the kickoff return especially out of the game you know obviously moving the kickoff and such like you're absolutely right though um you know if you have a good one it makes a big difference somebody that can flip the field you know flip field position in a tight game something like that or make the big play and score a touchdown like like Agnew did at the weekend. What frustrates me with a lot of these guys, and you kind of touched on it yourself, why don't teams find ways to use the skill set? You know, you've got a guy there in Agnew that's fast and elusive, so why the hell is he only playing special teams? That offense has nothing right now. You know, design a few plays for him, get the ball in his hands, let playmakers be playmakers. You're right about Tyreek Hill. You, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, he'll never be anything more than a returner. Fast forward to getting Andy Reid, and suddenly Andy Reid knows how to work him into an offense. That's what creative coaches do, and that's why Urban Myers fucking sucks. But uh, we'll, we'll come back to that at some other point. But, yeah, it, it frustrates me because in college you see it. There's no doubt if Urban Meyer had, had an Agnew in college, he would find a way, well, Percy Harvin, he would have found a way to use him. NFL teams, for some reason... Whether it's the inbuilt conservatism of how some of the offenses play, I don't know. But so many like good athletic talents to me get <coughs> a little bit wasted by by the coaches, and that's the disappointing thing. They are great returners, but you get so few opportunities to get your hands on the ball as a returner. For God's sake, find a way to use them somewhere else. I don't know. Just just the thought I had when I watched Agnew at the weekend. 
he was excellent. You're absolutely right about kit returners. But find a way to use playmakers if you have them, especially if you're a bad team, because what else have you got? I remember when, um, I think it was a few years ago now, three or four years, um, Seahawks actually signed Devin Hester when he went into playoffs just for kick returning. And like you say, he put on 20, 30 extra yards in certain returns that put us in good positions. Obviously, Seahawks did Seahawks, and we didn't end up doing anything with it. We lost, but it, it, it just shows you how important these special teams can, especially in big games like that, can move you up the field further on to like get into scoring positions. So, yep. Yeah. It's beautiful that you brought them up, Bones. You know what I mean? They deserve they deserve some recognition. Week four matchups we like. Obviously, I'm just going to jump in real quick and get mine out of the way because I don't really talk about it too much, but we know the NFC West are all going to be playing each other this weekend. I'd normally say I'm not looking forward to the Seahawks 49ers, but John will testify that no matter what the form is beforehand, it does not matter when it comes to in-conference games. You know, like it's... Uh, it goes out the window, and I'm still like I say, I'm not looking forward to it. But the second game, that Rams uh, Cardinals game, I think it's a 925 uh, game. That's it's stand, it's a standout one for me. I, I'm looking forward to watching that one, obviously, to see the NFC West teams, obviously, but we're going to be playing them later. But they've both started really well, and it'll be interesting to see if either defense can stop what has been a good offense from both sides so far, John. I know, like, I've nicked NFC West off you. Is there anything apart from NFC West that you see, or are you looking forward to them? Well, I'll just touch on that quickly. Massive week in the NFC West, as you say. Um, I think we're going to see who's a contender because I think the potentially the losers of both both those games are in trouble even this early in the year. It's certainly in our game, I think it's all or nothing because both of us have had in different starts of the year. It's the kind of game that if you win, you could kick on from, but. There's some pressure there. And you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter how either team's playing coming into it. It will be a close game. I have absolutely no doubt about that one way or another. Um, away from that, it's actually another divisional game I've picked up. Well, I've got I've got two others. So I've got Chargers and Raiders, which is the, I believe, is the Monday night game. That, to me, is a huge game because I don't really know what I think of either team at the moment. Chargers have knocked off the Chiefs, but they've also been their own worst enemy in a lot of games. They've given away a lot of penalties. They've made a lot of errors. They got away with it as it transpired against the Chiefs. The Raiders, I mean, I, I said on Monday, I can't argue with the record. They're playing well. Yeah, they are playing well. Um, Carr's having a great season, throwing the ball about as well as I can remember him throwing it. But we've seen this before with the Raiders, haven't we? They go on, they go on these runs occasionally and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know how you feel. To be fair, I don't know how you feel about it, but maybe you'll touch on it when you talk about about your matchups. But with the Raiders, I'm always like, yeah, great. When when where's it going to end? Because it's going to end somewhere. I don't know if it'll be this week. I actually fancy the Raiders to win that game, but I I wish I could watch it. Unfortunately, I got to work Tuesday, so I can't. But uh, I'm I am really looking forward to that game. The other game I picked out, and I don't think it's one most people would have picked out, but it's a similar reason to the one I've just described. Broncos, Ravens. Broncos are 3-0, and but they've beaten three bad teams. The Ravens aren't a bad team, so it'll be very interesting to see how they go there. I think if they can win that game, that's some big confidence early in the year. <coughs> yeah, there's some, uh, there is some good games. And then, Mark, I'm going to come to you. Obviously, he's picked out the Raiders' charge, and I'm sure you'll touch on some other, other games as well that you like the look of. If Raiders can get a win in this one and go 4-0 and just say Broncos lose... Even if Chiefs win, you've got to jump on. You've got to jump on a few of your division. It's a long way. It's a long way to go in the season, but it's a nice little jump on the rest of your division already. This is our toughest game of the season so far. This Chargers game, 
one, it's in conf, it's in division, you know, like it's in our division, and they always count a bit. But also, teams are built to stop teams in their own divisions. They're drafted and built to stop teams. This Chargers team, it's like it's being built to stop us. You know, Wallace going to get shadowed by Derwin James. They've got Keenan Allen and they've got Austin Eckler, who are yards after catch machines. So you're going to have to be tight in that cover three. Whilst I don't think Mike Williams is going to have a really good game, I think that somebody like Keenan Allen, if he, if anyone can turn a five-yard dump off to a 20-yard gain, it's someone like Keenan Allen or Austin Eckler. Um, and they're going to be playing lots of cover six. You know, they've got they've, they've got Asante Samuel Jr. who's coming. I'm worried about this game. I said it to me earlier. I want to rather be playing the Chiefs because I think we're a better matchup against the Chiefs. I just don't think we're a very good matchup against the Chargers. Uh, John, fuck off. Right, we've beat three amazing good teams. We, we've beat three teams that won 10 games or more last season. So I'm not having your radars damp now. If anyone can dampen the radars, it's me. And I was saying to my friends earlier on today, I'm trying to find something to damp on my excitement because I don't want to be let down again. So even though we're 3-0, I haven't booked for LA Super Bowl tickets just yet. You know what I mean? If we go at the bye unbeaten, I might start thinking we're getting the playoffs. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I'm very level-headed like you, John. I've seen this before. I want to see us win in November. I want to see us win when it matters. It's great being 3-0, and but I'm not getting too excited just yet. In terms of other games, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tom Brady go back to New England, mate. I cannot wait for that game. You know, like, I know it's on quite late. I'm going to be watching it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to that New England-Tampa game. I hope it's not on the same time as my readers. Is it the late night? Sunday, late night Sunday yeah, late night yeah. Sunday. So I'll be able to watch it. Yeah, I'll be watching that game. I'll be up late watching that game. Really looking forward for the return of, of Tampa Tom to New England and, and what that's going to serve up. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing it against the Panthers. You know, obviously the Panthers are missing McCaffrey. There's going to be a little bit more on Sam Donald. I'm going to be interested to see if Sam Donald can do a little bit more. And I think we'll get a proper true look at what this new Sam Donald is without McCaffrey there. Um, yeah, there's, 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 those are the three games I'm looking most forward to. Cowboys, Panthers, the Raiders, Chargers, and um, New England and Tampa, Tampa Tom. You know what I mean? New England, Tampa Tom is going to be a cracking game. Yeah, just before I go over to Bones, I, I didn't know who were going to bring the Buccaneers Patriots up, but you can't not like look through that list and see it. And no matter what they say in the in the pre, you know, the the, the pre-match um, talks and stuff, this Tom Brady versus um, Bill Belichick, they'll want to get one over on each other most definitely. You know, no matter what they say, they've got there's all this talk about who made who great in in, in New England and stuff. This is. This is a big. It's a big game to keep an eye on and stuff, and I, I might even stay up for it myself just to see. Like I'm not. I kind of obviously Buccaneers probably will be favourite still going in, but you just don't know. You know, Bill Belichick could have a, a game plan for him. Bones, what about you? You see anything in there? No lines have got the Bears. Did you fancy chances this week? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like I don't talk about our team very often because I know there aren't that many fans out there. But for the few that we know, I mean. You might look at this game and think, oh, this is the Lions' chance to get a win on the season. But my problem with the Bears is, much like Mark said, is teams are built to beat 
inside the division. We have fully committed to being a run-first team this year, and the Bears, historically, pretty good against the run. Like, solid defense against the run, and that's all we've got this year. So, I don't know. I think after getting absolutely shellacked last week, I don't think the Bears are going to come back this week and get beaten again. I think they'll at least definitely give us a run for our money. Um, the thing... The thing is, like the the games that really stood out to me that have been touched on a little bit, pa- Patriots Buccaneers. I mean, especially with the news we've been hearing recently about um, when Tom was leaving, he wanted to speak to Bill, and Bill said he wasn't available. And apparently, Bill Belichick's just a dick. Like, there's been loads of rumors about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick towards the end of this thing being like a bit at odds and not. So it's it's just making it's just fuel to the fire, isn't it? It makes it more fun. Um, Broncos Ravens, obviously, like is the Broncos scoreline real like that's an interesting one to watch and the one that i want to watch because i want to see if they absolutely like just murder them is titans jets i think titans jets the jets might just get pummeled to pieces and just be destroyed by like look they can't stop anything so i don't know what's going to happen i'm really looking forward to watching that one yeah, this is what we love about the NFL. There's always matchups each week, you know. But this is a this is a good week, you know. Like obviously after it all, it might not be a good week for some of us. But looking at it, it's just some mouthwatering games there. And we're going to end as we always do on uh, Mystic Mark bet of the week. I want a PlayStation Five Mark, you know, before Christmas. You know what I mean? I know they're hard to get hold of, but I won't mind saving up for one. So what have we got this week? Well, this week me me bet on the pod didn't come off, but if you were in the chat, I did give you a treble, which did come off. So once again, I'm up again. We double didn't come off. We treble didn't come off, but we treble touchdown scores did come off. And I know a couple of lads in the chat were lucky enough to back that, and it was 6.8 to 1. So if you were like me and you put a 10 on, you had 78 pounds in your bank on Monday morning. Um, so I've chucked, I've I've decided to do things a little bit differently. I've decided, I think there's three games which are going to be high scoring games. I've taken the Rams versus the Cards. I've taken the Browns versus the Vikings. And I've taken New England versus Tampa. All those three put into a treble to go over the point scores. So take the Rams versus Cards to go over 55 points. The Browns versus Vikings to go over 51.5 points. And New England versus Tampa to go over 49 points. That's one of my bets. And I'm going to go back to the touchdowns. I really fancy Ron Gronkowski to go back to New England and to get a touchdown. I really fancy C.D. Lamb to get himself a touchdown grab this week. And I really fancy A.J. Green to get a touchdown grab. I think there's going to be a lot of players throwing the ball around. Devonta Hopkins is going to be on. Um, is, is going to be followed by Jalen Ramsey. And I just think that A.J. Green's going to be a red zone target for Kyla Murray this week. So I'm going Rob Gronkowski, C.D. Lamb and A.J. Green as a treble touchdown score as well. Thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm hoping, I'm going to be putting them all on again. You did give me some money with that treble in the in the chat with the, with the touchdown. So I'm on my way to a PlayStation 5. So you need to keep it rolling. And um, hopefully we, we have some winners this week. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, it's been another fun episode. I've enjoyed it. I just love talking NFL. I'm sure these guys do too. And um, we'll be back at the same time next week for episode 20 for, with all the talking points from week four. So all the best. Take care.